everyone born from a donor might have siblings they had no idea existed, who were born from the same stranger. Here, a man gets instant results putting his DNA on websites. That's the summary for episode one of Born From The Same Stranger, a primetime documentary which aired on ITV1 earlier this month. Raking in millions of viewers, the four-part docuseries was a hit, with critics and audiences alike. Liam Renouf was the star of that episode. Born and raised in St Clement, he now lives in London. But on a recent trip back to his home island, he took the time to speak with us about growing up as a donor-conceived person, his experience on the show, his newly found donor siblings, and what sparked his decision to find out, or not find out, more about his donor. Why don't you begin by telling me your name, your age and what you do for a living? So my name's Liam Renoff, uh, I'm 28 and I am a teacher based in Hackney, East London. Brilliant. And, and you were born and raised here? Yeah, I was born, born and raised in Jersey. Um, I went to university at 18 in London, kind of never left. But yeah, born, born and raised here. Just to start, so have you always known that you were donor conceived or is this something that, you know, did you have a conversation with it about it at a particular age where you were sat down and kind of talked about it? So, yeah, I've always known that I'm donor conceived. I grew up with a single mother, so it was kind of quite difficult to hide it. Yeah, it's always it's always been kind of a part of my life, a part of my identity. I think what I didn't realise when I was younger is that it wasn't that common. So I remember when uh, we started learning kind of very the basics of biology. And I was like, oh, yeah, but you can just go to a clinic. And I kind of thought that maybe you reached a certain age where you wanted a kid and you made a choice of going to a clinic or having a, having a child um, naturally. I'm not, sure I, I'm not sure I like the term naturally because I think that, that what, the way that I was conceived was in, incredibly natural. But, yeah... Um, so yeah, I didn't think that I grasped how uh, uncommon it was. When I was a bit younger, my mum went on the Vanessa show, mm-hmm. um, and then that kind of picked up uh, some tabloid and magazine stories. So I had those to read mm-hmm. through. Um, I think that was in, I was born in 95, and that was in 98. So yeah, we, we, were, in, we were in a few sort of tabloid how did you find that sort of already being in national media (laughs) i mean i can't really remember it at the time if you go back to it it's very 90s you know i think you've got to remember that that at the time especially in the uk the the kind of quote villainous uh, scapegoats were single mothers and same-sex couples Mm. so we're dealing with the backdrop of, of Section 28, which is a piece of legislation that, that, that said that you couldn't basically in schools promote homosexuality as an accepted lifestyle. Um, and single mothers were kind of this, the, the, the idea of like the, the single mother, scrounger, amoral, absent father. These two things were, were, were really, really embedded in kind of the British psyche. So this decision that my mum made 
to to do it alone and lots and lots of people that went to the same clinic that my mum did that were same sex couples kind of do it alone was was a was a really big and, and brave decision to make mm. um because yeah the 90s was although it wasn't that, that long ago it was a very very kind of different different mm. time mm. so as you were growing up did you experience any stigma or anything like that or, or was it something was Jesse quite accepting when you were younger and, and sort of growing up in this family no, I didn't really experience uh, any stigma. I had quite a few people that were interested. It doesn't really come up in the mm, day-to-day conversation. I guess, yeah. So I had, I remember when we were, when I was in secondary school, and again, it was a bit further on, but we were doing biology, um, and we learned about IVF. I wasn't actually conceived by IVF. I was conceived by uh, donor insemination. Um, but we learned about IVF, and I kind of, explained my story and I think people were quite interested. So you've spoken about how growing up in Jersey as well there was quite a strong community mm-hmm. and and that might have been part of the reason that you were never sort of really aware of the fact that you maybe didn't know everything about sort yeah. of where you came from. I think I was always aware that there was this other person out there that obviously I share 50% of my DNA with. I grew up two doors down from my grandparents. I was incredibly close to my grandfather. And I grew up next door to my uncle and aunt. So I definitely felt... It didn't really feel like just being brought up by a single mother. I was brought up by lots and lots of people in my family that surrounded me. And yeah, I definitely felt a strong link growing up to to Jersey, into the community of Jersey. Uh, My grandfather was quite kind of known and active in his community. Mm. My family have been here for a very, very long time. Mm. And, you know, I can go to a graveyard and see my great-great-grandparents or whatever. So I felt felt this, this affinity to Jersey. I think when I moved to London, that was probably the point that I started questioning it a little bit more. What was it that, that <coughs> made you question it? Was it other people being around other people or in a different atmosphere? Not, I don't know. I think it was the kind of the, maybe it wasn't going to London, maybe it just happened that when I moved, the kind of the, the commercial DNA testing became more popular. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought, well, I've got to at least try find out something because I don't want to get to the end of my life and kind of regret not finding something out so yeah I didn't I didn't kind of consistently act on it I think for for some donor conceived people and completely rightly so it becomes a real driving force in their lives that wasn't really me I think when I first started finding out more distant cousins when I first got those DNA results. When I started finding more distant cousins and stuff, I tried to kind of match things up. And I made an absolute hash of it (laughs) and kind of thought, oh, these people could be my grandparents, that they weren't. Um, And I kind of got a bit more into it. Mm. Um, I also think finding the donor-conceived community pages on social media Mm. massively kind of drove me 
forward because I kind of find out I found out at that time what more information I could get and that kind of yeah, drove me forward and I saw these stories of people that had met siblings met their donor kind of forged these relationships and lots of the time how much joy that had brought them and obviously I had also stories of of rejection and of not finding anything and really difficult things um I was obviously really lucky that I grew up knowing I think I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth but I think for some people that maybe don't grow up knowing and they find out that different emotions that are holding can kind of drive that as Mm. well but yeah I just wanted to to give it a go really. Mm. So you ended up on um, an ITV documentary which was you sort of featured in heavily in the first episode in that documentary you go on a search for your half siblings and you do find is it three or four of them three Four of, them. four of them. Three, three are in the show, but there, there are four Fantastic. of them. Yeah, yeah. And so, why don't you just really briefly, because I don't know if listeners are <coughs> familiar with some of the, sort of the terms that that you use. So these are half siblings, and yeah. then you say donor conceived. Are there any other words that we should know about that I'm? Getting yeah. There? So I would use for my biological father. I would use the word sperm donor. Mm-hmm. Some people would use the word donor siblings. Mm-hmm. I would use the word half siblings, but I'm start. I've starting to form really good relationships with my half siblings. So, for me personally, I would refer to them as my brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. But that's only because I'm forming these these kind of bonds with them. But yeah, I think even words like biological father biological child half sibling half brother half sister I think those words can be quite loaded and hold quite a lot of kind of inferred responsibility Mm. so I tend to personally stick with donor sperm donor donor siblings there isn't like a a dictionary of exact terms well Mm. I haven't seen one maybe there is (laughs) No, that's really good because it's. I think language is so important and how you talk about it. Um, yeah, I agree. So, how did you become involved with the documentary? You mentioned you became involved with some some social media sites and pages, <coughs> and was it through them or, or how did you get involved? Yeah, so I joined some social media pages um, initially because it was when I first joined them, people would kind of put up the info that they knew about their donor, and then kind of see, oh, I was conceived at this clinic, this is what I've got, does this match anyone's? And then one of the Facebook pages I was part of, which is called Donor Conceive UK, which has now become an organisation, absolutely amazing people, um, I saw an advert on there for the show Born From The Same Stranger. And it was by the people that made Long Lost Family. And I kind of thought, well... I'll give it a go, I'll apply. My feelings initially towards it were very transactional. I kind of thought, okay, they are going to give me quite expensive genealogy work for free. Mm. Am I that fussed about being on telly? Not really. But as the protest kind of went on, I really I really enjoyed it. And I, I, the actual producers that made the, the, the producers of the show 
and were amazing people and I've got a lot to thank them for you know they did this amazing work and they looked after me incredibly and I, I couldn't I couldn't imagine doing it without them you know um, so I applied in November December 22 mm-hmm. and then I had an initial phone call with uh, one of the producers and she said that's really interesting and then I went through a kind of a second round I spoke to someone else and then they said yeah we'd love to have you on the show what I really thought was really amazing about the show is that before I did it I had to have an assessment with a counsellor um, and all of throughout all of the process a counsellor was available which was fantastic so yeah that was it, I kind of got told that I would that I was through just before Christmas mm-hmm. and then in the January they sent me the filming dates and then we had like filming dates across 2023 Mm -hmm. so yeah it was I think the first filming was in May but that Mm -hmm. was kind of the process it was quite quick Mm -hmm. quite easy I didn't really expect to find anything to be honest Mm -hmm. Um, you know I've been on one of the DNA sites for quite a while and I thought probably won't find anything but I'll give it a go (laughs) and of course you did find some things out so (laughs) how how was the experience did you find it quite quite an emotional experience in the end yeah, I did. I absolutely did. Um, so I, w- one thing that you don't, if you watch the show, one thing I don't think you can really tell is that there's a scene where I go to the clinic and I get shown a statement that was written by my donor. I had no idea that that statement existed. The only information that my mum had been given was his profession. So I'd... I think that was the first day of filming if I'm right so I had three days of filming in in a row so I had done some filming in my flat in the morning then I went to get this statement and I was like oh my god you know if this is it if this is all we have then this is perfect and then the next day they came to my flat and so they had basically the way that it kind of worked is they did the DNA tests, and then they kept the passwords because mm-hmm. obviously they didn't want me to check in on the on the, the things. They could actually get my reaction on camera. And um, I logged in to the first one and it said, you have a half-sister. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And then the second one I logged into, it said, on it, it said, first cousin. I was like, oh, first cousin, amazing. And then when I actually clicked on it, it said likely relationships, half-brother, and then there was a couple of others. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, that's a half-brother. So interestingly, one of my siblings, May, she, her DNA had actually only been uploaded to the site the night before we started filming. So the producers spent all night kind of Googling and researching and kind of seeing information. So then... May, I googled May and I found out that May had a brother from the same donor mm-hmm. and then I was like okay this is this is quite a lot to process so I sent them a couple of messages which was difficult I had to be really delicate. Mm. How was that first sort of approach did you feel hesitant? Or? I did because I didn't know if they were sperm donor children if they were the 
kind of the children of my donor that they've oh, been brought really? up with. Okay. Um, I didn't know whether they knew they were sperm donor children. Um, I think May was a bit easier because I think May had something on her profile that said like conceived by anonymous donor. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. But I didn't, I had to tread really carefully. You know, like this is really big mm. news for someone. And it's a really strange feeling to think that oh, this is a stranger, but they're my sibling, mm. my half sibling. And that's, yeah, it's a really intense experience. And there's no guides of how to do it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I dropped them a couple of messages. <clears throat> and then I had to go to, that afternoon, I had to go see the genealogist. And the genealogist had used all of my matches to find out about family trees. Um, and we're like, and here's your donor. So that was all in one day. So I was a bit like, when mm-hmm. I got home, I was like, oh my God. Um, so I got a reply from them the next day. And then Charlie said, got a bit of news for you. Um, I have a sister called Beth, who is also conceived by the same donor. Mm. Um, and that was on the Wednesday, I'd got those messages back. We started a, a group chat, and then on the Monday, we met up. It was also quick. Wow. So how was that experience meeting them? Because you've mentioned it was quite a, an odd moment because you noticed some similarities in, in traits and sort of looks and things like that. Yeah, it was quite odd. I think I used the word surreal about six yeah. times in the show. Um, like I can't really think of any other word to use. It was, it was odd. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. It was one of the best days of my life. Mm. Noticing the similar traits was amazing, but I guess somewhat expected. Mm. There were a few things that surprised me. So kind of having similar mannerisms, mm. that surprised me. Yeah. What, just like in the way that you sort of... Yeah, so we all kind of rubbed our chin at the same maybe. time. Wow. And yeah, there were definitely kind of similarities in, in mannerisms. I've always thought, I guess you, you look for what you know, but I've... My, my family have quite a strong family resemblance mm-hmm. and I've always seen the family that I've known all my life in, in me, you know. Um, I look really similar to my granddad, I look quite similar to my uncle. We all kind of have a, a resemblance. But when I met them, there were little things that, like my nose, that we all have exactly the same nose. And we saw a picture of our paternal grandmother and our donor and they have the same nose mm. so those sort of things that, that I was like wow amazing mm. we all have blue eyes um, we all have brown hair I think the thing that I found the most surprising was this instant care and love towards them this instant comfort towards them um, which really 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 kind of knocked me back a little bit I didn't expect it Mm. I hoped that maybe some friendships would grow out of it Mm. but I didn't expect it to be that instant Um, and it was it was just like instantly I was like oh my god I really care about Mm. these people Um, and yeah that was the most amazing bit I think Mm. so how has your perception both of yourself and even you know being someone who is donor conceived how has that changed since doing the show and finding your your donor siblings my family has grown. Um, I'm really enjoying nurturing the relationships with my siblings. It's it's a real privilege for them to allow me to to 
come into their lives and to to build these relationships mm. I think that that little kind of tingling feeling of I wonder has disappeared not that I ever kind of had any severe anguish with it but I think that that kind of a little feeling has been turned off and yeah I'm just really 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 enjoying exactly where I am right now every time I meet up with them I just it's really nice I feel really present I feel really able to kind of just yeah really enjoy myself and just sort of think this is this is really important so that's really nice that's lovely and have you received any feedback following the show airing from anyone or from donor conceived community or anything like that (coughs) yeah I have there's been a bit of feedback I'm not sure the exact numbers so I won't quote the exact numbers but (laughs) there has been a significant increase in donors lifting their anonymity since it since it's aired I've had a couple of messages from donor conceived people that are kind of thinking about starting their journey and yeah I think Generally, I think what the show did really well is capture what it feels like to be donor conceived, but not in like a voyeuristic kind of strange way. I think that sometimes, because donor conception is still fairly modern, and it's definitely becoming a lot more popular than even it was in the 90s, that people can often... There, aren't, there are lots of stories about donor conceived babies but there aren't many about what happens when you become an adult. Mm. Um, and this show did that really, really well. Is It was like, this is actually what it looks like 30 years down the line. I had a message from someone who is a single mother by choice, um, has a donor-conceived child. Obviously, the laws have changed slightly. So Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Has the legislation yeah. changed recently? Because now it's less the the anonymity is less yeah so the legislation changed the reason that the show is made this year is the legislation changed in 2005 Mm -hmm. that when the donor see person reaches the age of 18 they can find out identifying information about their donor so obviously 2023 was the first year that those those children would be would be turning 18 so yeah that's that has really changed the game I think but then it's mm. still it's still the responsibility of of the parents to even tell them they don't conceive in the first place mm-hmm. and still that that is kept a secret and I think my big plea is for parents if you have a donor conceived child please tell them please please tell them because it doesn't need to be traumatic it can just be a fact of their life families look different lots of families look different you've got you've got single parent families same-sex families non-nuclear families you've got so many different types of families that all a child needs to feel is loved whether that's by their biological parents or not and yeah it's just it's really really important it's really 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 important for identity formation to tell them um because it's just yeah it's incredibly unfair when you don't i think Mm-hmm. So after all the process, have you considered maybe contacting your donor now that you know more about them? So it's at the moment I've made the decision to to not pursue contact. Mm-hmm. And I said in the show around kind of like wondering whether it was the right thing to do or not. Mm-hmm. And I 
think for me personally right now it's not why is that how did you come to that conclusion so finding out you have four siblings is a lot (laughs) and I want to make sure I have time to process it Mm -hmm. but one thing I think I wanted to kind of be clear about is that personal decision of mine I don't think should affect a general moral attitude to people that that want to I think it's incredibly important to be able to have access to information and to be able to attempt contact um, you know I have the access for information of information and I've decided right now I don't want to attempt contact but I deserve the access to information and so does every other donor conceived person you have the right to attempt contact you have the right to information but you don't have the right to a relationship that's mm. the really important distinction mm. Do you think um, your decision could change in future? Yeah, I think it could. I think it could. Maybe when I have children. I also just think that because everything happens so quickly, I wanted time to be able to process it mm. and time to be able to think, you know, like I don't even know how... It's so hard to think about how to even tackle this and you're way more likely, I think, to be rejected by a donor than by a half sibling mm. and you know it's, you know the person did it anonymously a long time ago and I know it's a really hard thing to be able to cope with if you are rejected I think I'd be okay if I was if I do decide to make contact all these sort of things thank you so thank much you for so coming much. in thank you to Liam Renniff and thanks for listening to the Bailiwick podcast keep up with all the latest news by visiting bailiwickexpress.com or reading our sister publication the JEP more next week from me Kelly Frost and the rest of the team